Welcome to another episode of the Become a Calm Mama podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about misbehavior. But before I get into that, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. I've gotten tons of really positive feedback from all of you just saying how much you love the podcast and how helpful it is. And that just makes me so happy. So thank you. And like I said, today, I'm going to talk about misbehavior and I'm going to share the number one reason why it's hard. Okay. So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about misbehavior. Really, we're going to focus on why it's so triggering and upsetting for you. And then I'm going to give you some really concrete and practical steps to handling misbehavior without resorting to like lecturing and avoiding and yelling and threatening and shaming and all the things that we don't want to do. So before we get into it all, I first want to talk a little bit about the body stress response, because this is going to be really important for you to understand why behavior is so difficult. So first, I want you to like imagine that you're out walking your dog at night and you see a pack of coyotes. So I live in Southern California and we live like next to a mountain and there are a lot of coyotes that live up there. And I've never seen, well, I have seen a full pack before, but even if I just see one coyote when I'm walking my dog, I definitely get nervous. Now imagine that you're walking your dog and there's a bunch of coyotes and they start chasing you. In that moment, your brain would activate your stress response. It would quickly assess the threat and it would decide whether you should run, stop and throw rocks or hide in the bushes. I would probably run, which is probably not the right thing to do. So this is what happens with our stress response. There's something in our environment and our amygdala is a part of our brain and it's always kind of scanning for hazards and it's looking around and it's deciding if the thing that's happening is safe or not. And if the brain decides it's not safe, that it's a problem, then it's going to activate your stress response and you're going to get all that stress juice your cortisol is going to start pumping your adrenaline and you're going to go into protective mode and fight, flight, freeze, or faint. So this is just how stress works in general. But what's crazy about parenting is that you have a parenting brain that is also doing this. It's kind of looking for hazards in the environment and determining whether you're safe or not. When you're child is misbehaving and you're in a default mode, your brain is going to interpret that behavior as a danger to you, to your physical or your emotional safety. Because just imagine when you have a behavior like screaming, just someone screaming in the world, if that happened and it wasn't a child, your brain would be like, "Uh uh-oh, there's screaming, we're in danger. Or if there was screaming on a, like on a roller coaster, your brain would be like, oh, it's safe screaming. Don't worry about it. It can filter that. But if someone's crying or someone's attacking you, like they're blaming you or they're being really aggressive, like they're hitting you or they're lying or they're peppering you with questions or they're arguing with you in any circumstance where those things were happening, you would feel really stressed. These behaviors in any other life situation would mean that you were under attack. And your brain would tell you that you needed to protect yourself, like get bigger, get louder, fight back, or run away. Your brain would tell you that your power was being threatened and a powerless human is a vulnerable human 
like our primal instinct, right? A vulnerable human is in danger. And that means that we need to get to safety and get our power back. I think of this as your brain on parenting, right? It's like, instead of your brain on drugs, this is your brain on parenting. And it's kind of set at a high level of like scanning for hazards. Because of course you're scanning for hazards. You are a parent, right? You want to try to keep these human beings safe and alive. Your brain is doing its job, but it sometimes misfires. It sometimes sends you information and triggers your stress response when things aren't actually dangerous. If you think about a messy room, is that actually dangerous? No. A kid who skips a meal or doesn't bring a coat or has their shoes on the wrong feet, those aren't actual emergencies. They're not actually dangerous. A kid who's asking for sweets a lot or asking for screens or not sharing, a kid who's oversleeping, someone who's forgotten a water bottle, lost something at school, when you're running late or there's a big temper tantrum, are any of these actually dangerous to you? They're not. They aren't real emergencies. So misbehavior is rarely an emergency. Your brain, though, is going to scream, fix it, change it, stop it, solve it, because it sees the behavior as a problem. This is going to happen to you. This happens all the time in parenting. It might happen today. It might happen tomorrow. There's going to be things that come up with your kids, like a scenario where your kids are taking too long getting out of the car, and all of a sudden your stress response is activated. Or you open the lunchbox and nothing has been eaten and all the food is wasted. And your brain's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is a big problem. And you start getting upset with your kids. Or your kid says like, you're the worst. And they walk away and they slam the door. Or your preschool is not going to get in the bathtub and then they won't get out of the bathtub. You say goodnight, you close the door and you're almost to the promised land of the couch. And then your child's like calling out, calling out, jack in the box, coming out of bed. Now, when these happen, your default brain might take over and your stress response might get activated and you might yell or get upset. And I want to just say that's okay because in the beginning of practicing calm parenting, I just want you to be aware. I want you to notice your reaction to your child's behavior. Become a witness of yourself and then notice like, where do you feel the stress in your body? Does it tighten your throat or does it feel heavy in your chest or Do you feel like your blood is pulsing? How do you act? How do you treat your kids when you're in your stress response? What do you say? What do you do? And then I want you to really think about like what was going on in the background that was making you upset. Just kind of growing your awareness, noticing how you react is going to help you change how you show up. Now, another thing that's going to help you change how you show up as a parent is learning not to get triggered in the first place. Wouldn't that be nice, right? Where you're able to, you know, have misbehavior be somewhat neutral when you don't feel like it's so upsetting. Now, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about learning to prevent your stress response from being activated. And you do this by retraining the way you think about behavior in the first place. When you view behavior as a problem, your brain is going to react with that whole fix it, change it, stop it, solve it energy. But what if you looked at misbehavior as an opportunity? (laughs) I know you're probably thinking, oh, come on, darling, really? But I'm going to really kind of show you how misbehavior is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to teach your child how to manage their emotions. 
It's an opportunity to teach your kids how behavior has an impact on others and to become more responsible. It's an opportunity to get closer to your kids. Instead of having that behavior act as a wedge between you, you use the behavior as a vehicle to get closer, to be more connected. So to see misbehavior this way, to become more neutral and even view misbehavior from a compassionate lens, it's important to understand where it's coming from. Like, why is your kid misbehaving in the first place? Knowing the reason your kid is misbehaving is going to help you feel more compassionate towards them. It'll make you feel less confused by the whole misbehavior situation. And it will give you greater clarity. Like, okay, this thing is happening. If you're calm and you're not in your stress response, you'll know what to do with it. So we're retraining your brain right now to think about misbehavior differently. So here's where misbehavior comes from. It comes when your child has big feelings about anything, about anything. That could be you, your rules, what happened at school, their sibling, their perception of you and your love for them, whatever it is. If they have big feelings, they're going to act out their big feelings. And sometimes the way they act out creates problems for others. And we view that as misbehavior. So all behavior is driven by feelings. Misbehavior is when the behavior causes a problem for somebody else or them. So behavior really, it's a strategy that your kids are using in order to take what's going on inside of them and put it outside of them. So they're using their behavior to communicate their feeling with you, or they're using their behavior to cope with their feelings. Sometimes they're using their behavior to change the circumstance so that they can feel better. So this behavior, I really think of it as a strategy that kids and all humans, kids use to communicate, to cope, or to change. So I love labels, not for people, but for behavior. So I've labeled some of these strategies because I think naming behavior can be helpful because it puts distance between you and your kid's behavior. It helps you go get a little curious, like, okay, what is this behavior? What is it called? So I'm going to name a couple of these different strategies. So one is move their body. So a way that kids communicate, cope, or change their circumstance is by moving their body. And what does that look like? It looks like hitting, throwing, kicking, punching, spitting, grabbing, pulling, slamming, stomping. They're moving their body in order to communicate their big feeling or to cope with it. It is one of the main strategies that we all have access to is to allow emotion to move through our bodies so that we can get to a new emotion. Kids are the same. So they're allowing that big feeling to move through their body by moving it. Another strategy that kids use besides move their body is what I call lawyer up. So this happens a little bit later, like more after five or six years old, where kids will start to argue, negotiate, challenge, ask repetitive questions, accuse, interrogate, ask why over and over. I think of all of that as lawyering up. <laughs> Sorry to any lawyers out there. I don't think there's anything wrong with these behaviors. They are strategies that we use to communicate, to cope, or to change our circumstance. So when your kid is negotiating or arguing with you or kind of accusing, you know, asking you a bunch of questions, you can be like, ah, they're lawyering up. Okay, okay. 
Now, I don't want you to lawyer up yourself, okay? I want you just to be able to view the behavior as an external expression of what's going on inside of them. Another thing that kids do and people do, I say kids, but you guys, we all do these, is complain, right? So what does that look like with children? It looks like crying, whining, yelling, swearing, and just straight up monologues. So when your kid is kind of on, like, you know, they're crying a bunch, they're whining, they're yelling. It's like, oh, okay, this is complaining. This is their strategy to communicate or cope or change their circumstance. So they're complaining. Another strategy is attacking the messenger. Turn it on you, right? They insult, they blame, they defend, they name call, they swear, they try to use guilt. They try to use these strategies to turn the situation. And this is their way to cope, to feel better. They're like, I don't like the way I feel. And I want to put this emotion onto someone else and make it their fault. So they're attacking the messenger, which is a lot of times you, because you've had to say no to something that they want. And when you say no, it brings up big feelings in your kids. And then they don't know what to do with those big feelings. So they move their body, they lawyer up, they complain, or they attack the messenger. A couple other ones I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but I think these are really helpful just to understand how kids behave. What are we talking about when we say misbehavior? Another one is delay. They just like ignore you, don't listen, they move slowly. I think of it as delayed compliance or they lie. So this is when they have like a delay strategy. And what's going on in their head is if I pretend this thing isn't happening and I don't do anything about it, I can feel better. (laughs) So they're just working hard to cope with that discomfort. And they're like delaying the compliance or listening or any of it. The two last strategies are refusal and negative thought spiral. So refusal, you know what that looks like, right? They just don't do it. So they don't move. They don't comply. I also put like when your kids are doing like sneaky behaviors, like sneaky sweets, sneaky screens, this is sort of their refusal to follow the limit. They are just not going to do it. So they're going to sneak it. And hopefully they're thinking I won't get caught and I can feel better without having any consequences. So that's a strategy. And it really drives parents crazy. And then some kids they go into negative thought spirals. They start worst case scenarioing. They go into what if questions. They bring up irrational fears or they start self-harming or self-blaming or self-critical. And that is when instead of the attack the messenger, when they take those big feelings and push them onto someone else, this negative thought spiral is when your kid's behavior strategy is to turn that negative emotion onto themselves. It's another way to cope with the feelings. It's another indication to you that your kid doesn't know what to do with those big feelings. So all of these behavior strategies, they're unconscious. They aren't malicious. They don't represent a character flaw in your child. Your child's not trying to manipulate you. They are trying to maybe change their circumstance or feel better about it, but they're not consciously aware of what they're doing. And even if they are, it's still a strategy that they are using to communicate or cope with the situation. They're taking the messy feelings inside and they're putting them outside of themselves. Adults have strategies to cope with feelings too, by the way. We also do these things. Now, some of us though have super duper healthy ways of coping with big feelings. 
like giving ourselves compassion or walking away until we get calm or talking through a conflict or journaling or going for a walk or talking to a life coach like me, we have healthy strategies. They're the same in that we use these strategies to communicate or cope with our feelings. There's adults that have less healthy strategies, gossiping, emotionally checking out, saying mean things, yelling, complaining, beating ourselves up, overeating, overdrinking, avoiding people that we are upset with. We do strategies too. We just don't have an adult walking around criticizing us all the time. Sometimes you might have a partner who does that. (laughs) Okay. So these behaviors though, they create a lot of conflict in families, your children's misbehavior. So it's one of the main reasons why parents yell. And parents will think like, ah, they would just listen and stop acting out. I wouldn't have to yell. That's just not how it works. They're not going to stop acting out. You want to give them new ways to act out their feelings, but they're not going to be able to change their behavior unless you help them find new strategies. So think about that stress response from earlier, right? When you're thinking, you know, my kids should be listening to me and I'm yelling to get them to listen to me. What you're really doing is you're trying to get more control over the situation so that you can feel better. Your brain is offering you a solution of getting your kids to behave better because your brain wants to like get everything calm again. And so you're kind of coming on harsh and you're maybe, you know, your brain's like, okay, let's be more strict and have more rules and more consequences. And you're thinking that this answer to misbehavior is going to be being more firm or being more consistent. But the problem is the solution of being more strict doesn't address the roots of misbehavior. If you don't address the underlying emotions, the feelings that are pushing or driving your kid's behavior strategy, what you end up is playing whack-a-mole. You know that old arcade game where the mole like comes up and you have this hammer and you try to whack it down. I think sometimes there's whack-a-mole parenting where you have these different behaviors that are popping up and you keep creating rules and being really strict and having more consequences and you're whacking at the behavior, but then you deal with one behavior and then another behavior pops up because what you're not doing is you're not helping your child learn better ways to communicate, cope, or change their circumstance. I'm not saying that misbehavior isn't frustrating or that we should continue to just allow it. This is not permissive parenting. It is compassionate parenting, though. What we are doing is we're looking at the reason the kid is behaving this way in the first place. We're getting curious. We're moving from curiosity into compassion. Now, it's not permissive parenting because when your child is behaving in a way that does not work for others, they do need a limit. It is your job to make sure everyone stays safe in your house. And it is your job to teach your kids that when they have behavior and it creates an impact, it's their job to deal with the impact of their behavior. So limits and consequences are super helpful because they create kind of an external interruption of what's going on inside. But your child is much more likely to respond to that limit or that consequence and change their behavior when they feel seen and heard and understood by you. Here's the thing. Your child, they have this story in their head about whatever's happening, and they have a lot of feelings about that story. And when they show how they're feeling through their behavior, it's an opportunity for you to see those thoughts and feelings in action. It's a chance for you to get to know them better, to strengthen your relationship. It's also a way for you to 
be able to look at their behavior and say like, well, that doesn't work. Okay. So what do they need help learning here? So when you have that clarity and you have that calm, you're able to look at that behavior from a a more neutral space. And you're just looking at it like, okay, this behavior is a form of communication. What is it communicating to me? What is the feeling underneath? What is the tool my kid needs to cope with this feeling? Okay. So I said I would give you practical tips, practical strategy for handling behavior, and I am going to do it. I'm going to walk you through sort of how to handle these behaviors. So the first one always, always, always is to get calm. Remember the stress response. If it's activated, if you're looking at their behavior and you're making it mean something that's dangerous about the future, I don't mean dangerous. Like obviously if they have a hammer and they're going to like go hit their brother or something, I want you to stop that. But what's cool about the stress response is it's really hard to override it in normal circumstance, it's very hard to override it when it's actually an emergency. So as I've said, misbehavior is rarely an emergency. So it's okay to delay your connection and it's okay to delay the consequence. Delay is this concept I teach all the time because when you pause and delay in the middle there, when you're resetting, you're resetting yourself back to calm so that you can connect and limit set. So delay is this really great strategy to manage a moment without adding any chaos. Because if you go talk to a person about a problem that was created because of their feelings, but you're upset, you're not going to show compassion. So really discipline or training your children and connecting with your children, well, it only works when you're calm. That's for sure. Always, always, always the first step is going to be to get calm and take that pause break if needed. The next thing I really want to remind you is that a lot of times behavior comes because you have said no to something that your kid wants. So if your child is acting out because you've said no to a request or they're experiencing like an impact or a consequence, you're really going to see these behavior strategies. They're going to bring out a lot of strategies to communicate their feelings or cope with their feelings or try to change the circumstance. So they're going to be moving their body, lawyering up, complaining attacking the messenger, delaying, refusing, or doing that negative thought spiral. You're going to be tempted in that moment to give in, (laughs) okay? You're going to be like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. Look at how upset they are. I don't want you to do that. I want you to stay committed to your limit and then allow for some of that protest. Don't take that protest personally. So we're pausing if we need to. So we're getting calm. We're staying committed. And then we're allowing for some protest. That's just that complaining and things like that. I'm going to give you some scripts to how to limit that. Not taking it personally is also really important. It can be really hard, especially if they're attacking the messenger or complaining to you or lawyering up to you or moving their body and trying to hit you. It's going to feel really personal. I really want you to remember it's circumstantial. So you're staying calm. You're staying committed. You're allowing for some of it. And then you want to go into connect using that connection tool, connecting. I hear you saying, I'm so mean. Mommy's so mean. Are you feeling frustrated by my saying no? Narrate what is happening, what you're seeing, and name the emotion. Now, remember, naming the emotion is just a guess. It's just kind of guessing the feeling and then pausing and letting them answer yes or no. Then you use that connection tool and then you have your limit set. So we're calm, we connect, 
we limit set. So that looks like saying, it makes sense that you're frustrated. It's hard hearing no, I know. But what else can you do besides name calling? So this is that circumstance where your child's like, you're so mean, you're the meanest mom, you're the worst, right? That's name calling. And so we wanna identify the emotion that's driving the behavior and then set a limit. So connection is identifying the emotion. Limit set is putting a limit on that behavior. It makes sense that you are frustrated. It's really hard when mommy says no. You have older kids. Yeah, of course you're upset. It's hard getting told no. You just change your affect. And then you offer, what else can you do besides name calling? Name calling doesn't work. How else can you tell me that you're upset? How else can you tell me you're frustrated? So you're calm, you're connecting, you're setting that limit and then delaying the consequence, right? We don't go to correct, which is that fourth step. So it's calm, connect, limit, set, correct. We're not going to correct until everybody is calm, like delaying the consequence for the strategy until everyone has kind of settled. So I'm going to give you a couple of scripts. I think these are funny a little bit for how to set limits. And these are times when your child has like a bunch of big feelings or is acting them out and you're a little bit overwhelmed or you want to limit it and allow for some of that protest, but without allowing it to go on and on and on. Now, these are examples. Whenever I give you a script on this podcast, the limit setting formula, remember, is what your child can do and the conditions. I don't get to decide what those conditions are for you. I don't even get to decide what's allowed. You do. But I'm going to give you some of the scripts so you can hear the language and how it works. So imagine a kid who's like really, really annoyed and complaining and complaining and complaining. So you've said like, oh, you know, I hear you you know, really complaining about this limit. Are you just so frustrated with mommy? Are you so angry about this? Or whatever age they are. Yeah, I'm so mad. This is so stupid. Then you set your limit. Ready? I will be happy to sit here and listen to you complain about my rules for two full minutes. Tell me everything you don't like about this circumstance. And I would actually get my phone. I've done this so many times. I would get my phone and I would set the timer. I'd be like, ready, go. (laughs) So we're communicating to our child, yes, you can complain. You can protest within the limit that I am setting. I found that when I did this, my kids, especially if I was in really good connection with them, they would be like, forget it. Because they recognize that their complaining isn't going to change the circumstance. And actually by that point, they probably worked through the emotion. They're not even that charged anymore. Okay. Here's another scenario where your kid is throwing things and you can stop. This is almost like a hard no, where you're like, listen, you are welcome to show me your feelings about this as long as you don't throw things. So listen to how firm my voice got there because I really am saying, yes, you can have these big feelings, but throwing things, no. And I want to communicate that in a very firm voice. You are welcome to show me your feelings about this as long as you don't throw things or throw things at me. If they are throwing balls or whatever, you're like, you're welcome to throw balls outside. You know, you can throw this pillow. You can give them some options, but you want to communicate what the limit is. Here's another one. When you have screen time rules in your family and your kid doesn't like them and they want to complain and complain and complain, you can say, you guys listen to this. It's so funny. I am happy to listen to you complain about our screen time rules on Fridays from 6 to 6.15 p.m. Would you like to make an appointment? And then when they get like annoyed or whatever, you kind of smile and they start to complain. Then you go, 
if you want to talk, you can talk, but I'm not listening. I will listen to you on Fridays from 6 to 6.15. I had to do this with one of my kids because he didn't get to play video games until he was much older than his peers. It was like an ongoing complaining thing that he wanted to talk about. I would reserve a certain period of time every week and he could just talk about it with me. Again, I was committed to my limit. I was calm and I allowed for some of it within the limit. This limit script is when your kid is like really overwhelming you and your stress response. I want you to be able to say, I'm going to take a calm down break and I'll be back to listen to you in a few minutes. Just straight up saying, I want to hear you and I will, but I'm going to take a break first. This is when you're not ready for that connection tool and you need to go calm. That's how that sounds. Another one, I'll be happy to listen to you as long as you speak kindly to me. You don't have to sit and have someone name call you over and over and over again. You can, uh, 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 I'm happy to listen to you as long as you speak kindly to me. Name calling is not kind. What else can you say? So you're setting that limit right there while still in connection. Okay, I hope hearing a few of these scripts gives you an idea of how it works in practice to set limits in ways that are respectful of your child's feelings and still allows them to communicate or cope with those feelings, but within a way that actually is emotionally safe for everybody and physically safe for everybody. So the key takeaway for today is this. Ready? Your child's misbehavior is triggered by feelings that they don't know what to do with. That's the thing I really want you to understand, that your child's misbehavior is triggered by feelings that they don't know what to do with. Now, just having that awareness is going to transform how you view your kids and the story you tell yourself about them. Instead of thinking they're jerks, you know, they're psychopaths or whatever, you know, negative thoughts you have about their behavior and what it means about them as a person, their character, you don't have to do that. Just knowing, oh, this behavior, this is feelings coming out. It will change how you view your kids. It will help you feel more compassion towards your kids and will make you more connected to them. That's the goal here, right? Is to help your kids know what to do with their big feelings. So how do you do that when you're looking at behavior and getting mad about it? You're gonna miss seeing that the behavior is showing you what's underneath. So this awareness will help you feel more compassion. And also, it's almost like a parenting hack Because if you're able to see that their behavior is triggered by their feelings, it will help you feel more calm because you're going to see the behavior as a temporary strategy because feelings come and go. They rise up, they move through. They rise up, they move through. It's temporary. And when you see the behavior as a way that your child is communicating or coping with their feelings, you're like, oh, okay, this will pass. It'll help you calm. It'll help you not freak out so much and it will activate your stress response way less when you understand that this behavior is acting out feelings and there's nothing wrong with my child. It will help you freak out less and not have your stress response so activated. All right, everyone. I am so glad you stayed and listened to this podcast and learned about big feelings and misbehavior and how they're connected. Thanks so much. And I will see you back here next week. Hey mama, if you've been listening to this podcast and thinking, oh my gosh, yes, I'm so ready to get out of this chaos and create more peace in myself and in my family, then I want to invite you to join Calm Mama School. 
It's my lifetime membership program where you learn how to stop yelling and feeling overwhelmed by parenting, teach your kids how to manage all of their big feelings, and set limits that actually work. It's lifetime access for getting everything you need to have the family you want and become the mom that you're meant to be. No matter how old your kids are or how chaotic your family is right now, I can help you create peace and joy in your home. To join, go to calmmamacoaching.com and get instant access to my online course and start coming to weekly coaching calls this week. I can't wait to help you transform your family. See you there.